Welcome to 52 Weeks of Flow. This is a moving river podcast hosted by multifaceted entrepreneur and transformational coach Bia Marie Annie. In this podcast, we want to help you discover the concept of flow and show you ways to get into flow and how you can keep your life flowy. Hello, 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 and welcome to 52 Weeks of Flow, where we talk about all aspects of flow in our lives, how to create it, how to maintain it, and how to access it whenever we want. If you'd like to support the show and learn more about what we do at Moving River, you can check out our website, www.movingriver.com, or check out www.superwoman.coach for our Superwoman training and circle. You can also find us on Instagram at moving underscore river, or you can find us here, right here, right now. How convenient, right? In today's episode, we want to talk about the runner's high. And for that, I have invited a special guest, someone who just ran the Boston Marathon last week. She is an endurance athlete who started running marathons in 2013 in Boston. She was at the finish line when the devastating event happened. And since then, she has run 20 marathons, with Boston this year being her 10th time running it. She holds a bachelor's and master's degree in business administration with the concentration in healthcare management, and while being in the army for eight years, was introduced to the operating room. She's deeply interested in relationships and human nature and how people evolve through life. Her curiosity for people and self-discovery led her down the path of her own healing following some tragic and traumatic experiences. In this healing, she found her purpose work of serving others by way of being a coach, mentor and consultant. She believes that life events present the option to get bitter or get better and she has chosen to lean into the better and help others to do the same. All right, all right, all right. And here she is, Hazel Boyd. I'm so happy that you are here, that you made time. It's a pleasure to be here. It's an honor, truly. So you just ran your 20th marathon. I did. That, and it was the 10th time in a row in Boston. It was like that, your anniversary. That is correct. 10 years running the Boston Marathon. Yes. And you said you're not done yet. I'm not done. No, I have other aspirations. I'm going to uh, run the world majors, which is uh, so I've done Chicago. I've done Boston. I'm doing Berlin in September, hoping to do London uh, next year and then New York City next year as well. And then the last on the list will be Tokyo and I will have uh, completed that goal. So I'm pretty excited about that. Wow. What, what drives you to do that? Because there are a lot of people who like to run, you know, who like to jog and, but to run a marathon takes like so much determination and running as many marathons as you did. And now also doing the, the world majors, like what drives you? You know, honestly, I just, 
it, for me, it's about the experience. Um, running Boston has been about uh, kind of conquering some demons that I have. I was at the finish line working for Power Bar uh, in 2013. And obviously, I'm sure you're aware there was a, a significant uh, event there with the bombings um, on tw in 2013. So I started running Boston to kind of reclaim the finish line and what it meant for me. Um, and to be able to give back, I run for charity. I'm not a fast runner, but I'm determined, you know, and I wanted to really just kind of give back while I went through this healing process. And so that's what inspired me to keep running Boston over and over again. Um, and, you know, the marathon is one of those races that just tells you a lot about yourself. You learn a lot about yourself through the training, um, through the actual day on the course. And, I, you know, I'm just not done learning about myself and seeing what I can push myself to the limits to do. So some of it's about my own personal, you know, fortitude and confidence and growth. Um, and then I just love running. So I'm it's kind of a mixed bag there. <laughs> All right. So you have to love running to do that. So. Here on 52 Weeks of Flow, we talk about flow all day long, basically. And what flow also is called the runner's high. Can you mm -hmm. describe your runner's high, especially, you know, like maybe this year, because it's so it's only, you know, it's been a week. So. Right. Right. Yeah. No, it's, uh, so I ran on Monday and, um, it, you know, honestly, the runner's high is something different for everybody. Some people get it really early on. Some people, you know, it takes a while. Um, the Boston Marathon is, a, is an incredible experience. There's just so many people. And because this was my 10th one, and I've been saying all along, this is my retirement year for Boston, because Boston is not an easy course, let me tell you what. Um, there are definitely moments where you're challenged and tested to the limits. And I wanted to go out there and just enjoy it and be in the moment. And so, you know, the runner's high for me was just appreciating all of the beautiful energy that was on the course, the spectators, people, perfect strangers that knew nothing about me, don't know who I am, don't know my story. Um, just being out there and celebrating all of these runners. And if you want to talk about the, the power of the human spirit, you know, go, go watch a marathon. Literally, if you go watch a marathon, you will see just this significant amount of like humanity packed into 26.2 miles and people are cheering and they're remembering your name and they're rooting for you. And when you have those moments where maybe you feel like, oh my gosh, another hill or geez, my feet hurt or my knees hurt or whatever, you you just get carried. I mean, I, I would love to say that for you, for me, when I'm on that course and people are there cheering me on that don't even know me, you just, you get wings. I mean, that's the best way to say it. They carry you. It's it's the beautiful flow. So I do get a runner's high. Um, anybody that's running a marathon with me, I'm the crazy lady that's singing as I'm running. Um, this, <laughs> I, I, you know, sing the song. If the song is a good vibe, man, I'm singing it out loud and I'm, you know, pumping up the people around me. Um, I think the most significant thing I noticed this year was my cheeks were sore <laughs> after running the race. I what? just smiled so much. Like I was like, I, how did I smile that, that my cheeks hurt? But, you know, normally there's aches and pains, but, but this year, definitely um, my cheeks have been sore for days and, and I love it because it's just a reminder of the beautiful thing that just happened. You know, this is so beautiful. You know, when you're asked at the finish line, so how are your legs? How, how are your feet? And you're like, no, my cheeks hurt. <laughs> 
it's a true story. I'm like, what is happening to my face? You know, I'm like squeezing them down, having to do face yoga. It's a whole situation. All right. All right. So how did you prepare like mentally for this run? Because physically, you know, you go, you do trainings and that's probably different for everybody as well. But like, I'm mostly interested in the mental stuff. Yeah. So I think, you know, marathoners, obviously we're a crazy breed of people. And I, I own that. I, I will totally own that. Um, and the mental, the mental toughening, I will call it mental toughening. So I live in Boston. Um, so this is a hometown race for me. Um, and we train on the Newton Hills and those hills are brutal. And, you know, it's, we've trained through winter, you know, the race is in April. So we're training, we start training in December and we go all the way up till uh, April, the week, the weekend before the marathon. And, you know, the winter, you don't just bail on the run because it's sleeting and snowing and whatever outside, you figure it out, you figure out a way to get your miles in. And even if, I mean, I remember three years ago, I had to, no, it was 2015. So how many years is that? I have no idea. Anyway, I had to run 18 miles on a treadmill. That is mental toughness. <laughs> like it's the test, the test that we all experience on the marathon journey is really the training. It's everything that you endure to get up to the day where you actually race, you know, suffering from injuries. I mean, doing this race, I've had so many crazy things happen. I fell off my roof one year. I got hit by a car three weeks before Boston another year. So, uh, you know, you learn a lot about yourself and it's about showing up. And I, for me mentally, I'm like, I'm doing this for the kids. Um, that's I've every year that I've run Boston, it's been for the kids. And, and that keeps me going mentally. I'm just like, you know what? Can't stop. You have a goal and you got to get to the end for the kids. And so it just, it drives you forward. And I mean, there's obviously other variables in there too, but for sure. Okay. So physically this is really exhausting. And you said that the kids are like your leverage to bring, to bring you through, but is it really that strong, you know, when, when your body is just breaking down, when you just can't go any further? Well, no, I mean, so, um, every race is different, you know, and the, like I said, there's a lot of stuff that can happen on 26.2 miles. Um, this year for me, it was the five year anniversary of my grandma passing, um, you know, in 2018, when I ran the Boston marathon, um, I was all excited, you know, exhausted from the day. And I had gotten a call later that night that my uh, grandma was sick and she was in the hospital. And I was like, you know, I'll call, I'll check it out. Um, and I called the next morning and they were like, she's not here. And I'm like, what do you mean? She's not here. She was getting admitted last night. And I found out, you know, that she had passed away. Um, and so this year, you know, it was about honoring her. It was about um, showing up and having a great time, knowing that my grandma wants nothing but the best for me. You know, um, I've been on this self-healing, self-discovery journey for many, many years. So I have a lot of people out there that, you know, just are so supportive and so loving and so kind um, and and focusing the energy to the positive things in life, you know? And I think as long as you can maintain some level of hope, optimism, and positivity, you will find, you will find the the will to keep moving forward. You just have to believe. And, um, you know, this year 
on my shoes, actually, I wrote down on one, on my left foot, I had all, and on my right foot, I had love. And I wore a, I wore a wristband that said persistence. And I wore a wristband that said, there's nothing uh, holding you back. And in the top of my hat, my my base performance hat, it says believe. And so when I'm having those moments of just tough, like it's just tough, it's just tough. I had places to go, focus my mental energy on, you know, the beautiful things that exist in this world that are way, way bigger than, oh, I have a little achy hip. You know, of course my hip aches. I've run 26 miles. Like <laughs> there's certain things your body's just going to be like, oh, you're, oh, you're still doing this. And, and yeah, we are. So, you know, you've got to find that grit, that determination from within. And there's just, there's a number of different places and everybody's different. But for me, you know, positive affirmation, you know, understanding why I'm doing things and staying true to who I am and what I'm capable of, that's really what the test is. Just knowing like, I can do this. This is not something that I am incapable of doing, you know, and having 20 under my belt, obviously it's like, Hazel, you've done this before. You can do it again. I mean, you know, I'm a little bit more seasoned with time, 10 years, right? Like you do, uh, you do get a little extra mileage on the tires, but at the end of the day, I know it's something that can be done and it's something that will be done because in my heart and in my mind, in synchronicity knows we're, we're making this happen. And so that's really kind of what keeps you going. Wow. This is so inspiring. Like kudos. I, I tip my head. Um, Thank you. Uh, yeah. I was wondering when you were talking about your, your growth, your journey, like what you've been on, what you've been through, do you remember who you were like 10 years ago? I was different. You know, it, it's funny. You know, I look back and I think about how different I am. Um, there are defining moments in life, you know, um, and I've had so many. I've had so many, way too much practice, I would think. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I do remember who I was. And I remember for a period of time after, you know, after the bombings happened and I was in this healing, I mean, I was in group therapy, I was in personal therapy, you know, I'm just talking to all the counselors, all the therapists, help me, help me heal, like help me get back to myself. And I remember this, this um, uneasiness, this chase. I was just trying to get back to who I was before, who I was before, who I was before. Um, and it was this beautiful understanding one day, the surrender almost of a letting go and saying, you know what? Do you really want to be her? Do you, you know, let go of who she is? How about you step into who you are now and who you can become? And once I was able to make that connection, it changed everything for me. It changed everything for me, how I viewed life, my friendships, you know, my relationships, everything, you know, my ability to honor myself. Um, and actually I got really good at creating boundaries. I mean, I remembered when I would be like at a 10 and my, you know, my fuse is super short and I'm like firing off, like just freaked out or panicked or, or twitchy. I would just say to people, I am at capacity right now. And just being able to recognize that in myself and say those words out loud to other people instead of, you know, grinding through it, that was such a release for me. You know, it was such a, it was a weight almost that came off of my shoulders. And, you know, I don't, I love the Hazel I have been in every stage of my life, but there's nobody I love more than the Hazel that I am right now, for sure. 100% hands down. Oh my God, this is so beautiful. 
This is so beautiful and so true. I can relate to that so much because I think every major incident in your life shapes you and creates a new version of yourself. Like you're a mom. So giving birth, you know, is like a rebirth for, for us as women. We, we, we not only birth a child, but we also birth a mother. And I remember when, uh, when I was pregnant, I was like, I'm going to stay the same. I'm going to, you know, I'm still going to be the fun, blah, 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 person. And after, and after giving birth, like, it was like immediate. I was like, who was that person? I don't remember. And it was, and with a lot of my friends and everybody was like, oh my God, I wish I could go back. You know, it was, I don't want to blah, 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 blah. And at some point is this acceptance, what you said, the surrender and the, Mm -hmm. the love for the person that you are right now in this moment. So thank you so much for bringing this up. This is such an important, important topic. Yeah, no, no problem. And it's funny because you say that and, you know, my daughter's 20. Um, <laughs> so when she moved out of the house, it's another like another rebirth. rebirth, you know, so just you wait, Bia, just you wait, because I'm telling you, like, I mean, I remember being very lost before I had my daughter. I couldn't figure out, you know, what my purpose was. Like, I just was like, I don't know why I'm here. Like, I can't be here to party all the time. I can't be here to dance. You know, like, there's got to be something bigger for me. And I was like, I I was so lost. I couldn't figure out what it was. And then I had my daughter and I was like, ah, you know, this is my reason for living. Wow. Okay. I was put on this earth to create this remarkable human. And then she left and I was like, but I'm a mom. Like my <laughs> job is to be a mom. Like, how do you, what, what do you mean? You, you don't need me anymore. And you're off doing adulting. Um, and, it, and it's a different kind of need and it's a different kind of parenting. I mean, you know, the evolution of us as people, I think so often we get so stuck and bogged down into like this mentality of how we're supposed to be and who we're supposed to be. And we, we hold on to it so tight that we don't allow ourselves to just be. You know, I mean, I think about some of the music I listened to back in the day and I'm like, I don't know how I listened to that. Like, how, how am I like, what is that? You know? And I mean, it's just, it's life is just this beautiful gift that we have to be able to embrace change in order to move through it. And, you know, I have always aligned myself with the thought process of I'm not going to let events in my life define me in a negative way. So anything, any hardship, any hard thing that I've had to go through, the traumas of my life, which there have been too many, um, I, you know, you have this thing, you could get bitter or you can get better. Mm-hmm. And I've always leaned into being a better human and, and figuring out like, okay, what am I supposed to learn from this? And how am I going to apply this into my life? And how am I going to help other people who might be going through the same thing from maybe going down that better path. Like, I don't, I want everybody to be on the better path. You know, we're, this is, this is life, man. This is a gift. You know, we have to celebrate that. We have to celebrate that. Again, I love it. I love it because yes, it is a gift and it is the only one that we have in this body, at least. So what makes you, (laughs) almost break your body doing all those marathons. 
it's honestly, I mean, I, I, I just, it's not, it's not the easiest distance, but that's what makes it attractive to me. Mm -hmm. It's like, really put yourself to the test and, and don't get me wrong. I mean, I have friends that are maniacs and they're like, oh, I'm going to do an ultra. I'm going to go do a 50 K I'm going to run more than 26 miles. And I look at the, and they're like, Hazel, come join us. And I'm like, yeah, no, I'm good. 26 is probably where, you know, that's my limit right there. Um, It's just, you know, for everybody, everybody has something, you know, that they're trying to achieve in this life. And I think for me, the marathon, the marathon is, is where I'm, I'm tapping out. I'm tapping out the marathon. I just, my, so the funny thing about it is I'm really short and kind of stocky. I'm built to be a sprinter. And a, and a jumper, right? And so when I first start, when I first decided I was going to run a marathon, and this was, you know, like before, I was like, eventually I'm going to run a marathon, you know, this pipe dream, right? And it just got accelerated a little bit with with the activities of of uh, April 15, 2013. But I was never meant to be a long distance runner. And just because I'm not built to be one, I was like, I'm going to do that. <laughs> I'm going to do that. I mean, I've got great vertical leap. I can jump. I mean, when I danced for five years, I'm a great leaper. I have, you know, I can jump. I have a lot of lift, but, um, but, you know, I I wanted to be a distance runner. I said, I'm going to be a distance runner just because, just because somebody said I couldn't, just because somebody said, you're not built to be a long distance runner. I said, all right, challenge accepted. Oh, I love that. I love that as well. All right. So you you have scratched on the surface of the hardships. Like I know, and I also also said that in the intro that you've been in the army. You're the founder of a company. So that is a lot already. So when you were in the army, for example, what how did you keep your flow there? Because I also know that this is kind of tough. Yeah, the army is a different animal. Um, you know, you're you're taught. It's almost like I remember going into basic training. I had no idea what to expect, but mind you, I had danced for five years. And if you're a dancer, you know you can relate to this. Your dance instructors are maniacs. They whittle you down to like nothing. You know, they're tucking under. I mean, I have a pretty road to you know my my. Gluteus Maximus is Maximus. And and she, you know, tuck it under. I'm like, it can't go anywhere. It's like attached to my body. Like, what do you want me to do with it? But we used to just grueling, grueling, dance routine, dance routine. Nope. Somebody made a mistake again, 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 the repetition. So, you know, discipline is, has always been something that's been kind of innate in me um, as a competitor. Um, And so when I was in the military, it was interesting because it was like they wanted to take all of these things away from me and then put me back together, like, you know, like a a rector set of a new Hazel. And I knew they wanted to break me down. You know, I knew they wanted to like build me, break me down so that they could build me up. And so once I got a hold of this in basic training, it became a different experience for me. Um, And I was able to just, um, well, you know, my friend, I had a friend who, we have to drink full canteens by the end of the day before we would go into, into our barracks. And if you didn't drink your canteen at formation, they would make you chug them. And my friend had been hydrating all day and she made the mistake of filling up her canteens right before dinner. 
So she didn't have two empty canteens and they made her drink them all. And she was just sick. She drank it and she just had too much fluid in her body and she's puking her guts out. And I'm just like, oh my God. And I'm watching because you can't do it. You can't help them. You can't be like, I'll drink the water for you. There's no, it's like, you. this is your responsibility. And so she's throwing up and the drill sergeant comes at her and he's like, oh, she's like, I'm sorry, I threw up. And he's like, well, you know what that means? And she's like, what? And he goes, fill up your canteen and do it again. And he made her fill up the canteen and replace the water that she just threw up. And I just remember thinking to myself, there has to be a better way. There has to be a better way. But it really forces you. And in this moment, you know, I'm thinking, what is the lesson? This is the lesson I'm supposed to be learning right now as I'm watching my poor friend, you know, have to drink this water. And it's like, be smart, be strategic, think about how you're moving. And so in that moment, you know, I had a recalibration of sorts and I was like, okay, never fill up your canteens before dinner, right? Like, you know, you're putting steps in place. Um, All of the training is physically grueling. It wasn't anything that my body wasn't ready to handle. I think the um, mental toughening, which is, is, you know, we had sleep deprivation training, which basically means you're wide awake for 48 hours with minimal sleep and you're, and you're expected to perform tasks. So like you have to go to school, you have to break down your weapon, you have to clean your weapon, you have to clean your room, you have to keep, you know, keep your uniform sharp. You're doing all of this stuff and you've had like literally no sleep. And like, how do you function? And you figure it out. And honestly, I credit being a new mom, my success with being a new mom to my sleep deprivation training, because you learn how to function with like zero energy, you know? And I'm like, oh, Cynthia was a great baby. Of course she was wonderful. But really, I think I was just used to like, you know, continuously moving forward. Um, But yeah, the military was an experience. It gave me a lot of, it gave me a lot of positive things. Um, I had some unpleasant experiences in the military as well. Um, But for the most part, you know, you know me, I lean into the positive and I say, I've learned a lot from my time, my eight years in the army. Um, It gave me a lot of really, really great tools to bring into my civilian life. Um, And, you know, it's part of who I am, Hazel today, right? little snippets of hazel today yeah but i'm wondering you know being in the army for eight years that's like a whole like a totally different flow than civilian life like how did you move back or how did you move in basically (laughs) (laughs) well going into the army going into the army was actually pretty once I, like I said, once I hit the, okay, Hazel, you've been through worse. This is just eight weeks of your life. And knowing that there was a terminal point for that, that basic training, like they can only torture you for so long. There's only so much torture that can happen before you're ready for your next thing. And then it's a job. I mean, in the army, like when you're not deployed and you're not going to a war, you're doing a job every day. So I learned how to be an operating room technician, which was fabulous. You know, I get to do surgeries on people. Doctor says scalpel, I'm handing it to them, you know, cutting sutures, retracting. I mean, it, it was a lot of really, really rewarding work. And 
And it, it was great because it's like instant gratification. You know, you work in healthcare. I work in healthcare still. But when you work in healthcare, you know, and people are take a pill, you'll feel better in a couple of days. And I'm like, no, I want it to be fixed like right now. Surgery, right? Because <laughs> you go in, you fix the thing and you're out and you go, I saw it. It was working. Everything's good. We've done what we're supposed to close it up. Instant gratification. Um, when I got out of the military, it was a little bit different. Um, because I was brought up in this environment where you're working every day, but you're under a, a structure of a military environment. So you're working in a military hospital with military rules, um, military accountability. Like there's a whole lot of different things. And I was a leader in the military um, and I was managing operating rooms by the time that I was getting out. So when I got out and I was a civilian and, and I was managing an operating room, I'm like, what do you mean you just melted that $35,000 camera in and out? You know, like you got to pay for that. And it's like, no, they don't pay for that. Like we got to figure out how to pay for that thing. And I'm like, that's crazy. How do you stop them from doing it again? So you had to like <laughs> figure out a different way, figure out a different way to motivate people. And leadership really um, is the process of influencing other people right? To, to perform a task by providing them purpose, direction, and motivation, right? And so I just leaned into that. I leaned into that purpose. Like, why are we doing what we do? You know, and, and giving them like, this is how you do the things that you need to do. And then motivating them. I mean, being a cheerleader, I've, you know, been a leader so much of my life that it's kind of innate. I've, even when I wasn't a leader, it was like, you know, people just kind of followed me because, well, they're like, I think she knows how to do it. She looks like she knows what she's doing. <laughs> quiet confidence or something. I have no idea. But um, yeah, I mean, it, for me, being a leader is about influencing your teams and motivating your teams and keeping them inspired, keeping them uplifted, because you know what? Happy people perform better. You know, happy people want to come into work. Happy people try to help other people, you know, and it's like you could be a miserable. Trust me, I've had some employees that have worked for me that have been miserable human beings but they can't help but be happy around us because we're all just happy. We're all like just doing the things, you know, and, and we're making it fun. Um, work has a negative connotation. People don't want to work, you know, workflow is like, workflow, got to make money and it's all obligatory and it's heavy. And so for me, it's been about how do I incorporate this into life? So it's not miserable. So you're not dreading going to work. I want people to be excited to come in, you know, and, and that's been, my mental mindset and how I've moved through and navigated being a civilian. It's like, all right, I'm not going to be able to like discipline you into like submission, but what I can do is get you excited about the work today. Let's get excited. This is incredible. And this is actually what good leaders know and bad leaders. They do exactly what happened eight years <laughs> prior to that. Right. They just push you and kick you and want something from you that you are not able or willing to do. Right. Right. So. You know, I, and that's the thing I, you know, I talk to other leaders and I've, you know, presented at a couple of conferences and, and just worked with other leaders, you know, mentoring them because as a leader, I, I take that responsibility of mentoring younger leaders very, very seriously. And, you know, fear-based leadership can only get you so far. And at the end of the day, if you're afraid all the time, are you really putting out the best product? And this is true in any industry that you're in. If you're afraid, like, I got to do this because I'm going to get fired and that's your motivation, 
it it's your level, everything about it is just going to be, you know, right. But if you can inspire your team and you can connect them to what you're doing and why you're doing it and show them how their job contributes to the greater success of everything. And like, you know, they, oh, I'm just a, right. You ever hear people say this? Like, oh, I'm just a, whatever. Right. And it's like, no, you're not just a, you are a, and how, and how does that lead to the bigger foundational structure or the picture of what you're doing? And, and you get them to be motivated and committed to like, you're right. I am, you know, boost that, like get that, you know, chest lifted that like, yeah, you know, that I am doing something. I do make a difference. I do matter when people recognize that they matter mm-hmm. and that they have an impact on something bigger. It, it, it inspires them it motivates them to be better and to do better because they know what, if I misstep, what does that mean for something else? And you have to be able to connect those two. And that for me, inspired leadership is always the best way to go because people, you know, if they just resonate, they resonate better with what they're doing and it, it always leads to higher output in every way, I think. Absolutely. And I loved when you said, um, you're not just a, you are a, I like mm-hmm. to say you are the, right? Because even if there are 10, 20 accountants in a, you know, sitting right next to each other, they're not the same because each one brings right. a different, like some, their, uh, their personalities, they're different. What they bring to the table is different. Yes, their education might've been the same, but still what they do and how they do it is completely different. So I love to put the, the, you are the, you are. Right. Yeah. So that's really, I mean, it's funny because I, you know, diversity and leadership and diversity and and businesses, you know, it's really, I I love this. I mean, I love people. I really, really like people. I say that I don't like people, but I, I mean, I just, we're curious, right? Where I'm curious about people. And it's like, you can have five people in the same room watching the same exact thing and they're going to get five different things out of it. And mm. some of it might overlap, but some of it might be different. And it's like that lens, the just the tweak of that lens and understanding like they're seeing this a little differently than me and having them all in a room. And then they go, oh, well, what do we do this? You know, the creative, the creativity that comes from a diverse team is it's magical because people get creative and they go, how will I, how do I solve this problem? How would you solve this problem? And then everybody starts thinking about it differently and you have like, seven opportunities right as opposed to just like we're gonna do it this way and this is the way it's gonna be because that's what I said never fun never fun so let's jump back to the marathon because you know as a leader as an inspired leader I'm wondering how your physical fitness influences your leadership how does my physical fitness influence my leadership so I mean I mentioned before that I'm not fast that doesn't, um, it, physical fitness has nothing to do with fat. No, no, no. I know that yeah. this is, I'm leading into something really, I think. Oh, okay. I don't know. So I'm not fast, right? But I'm, and I usually start a little bit to the back. I, I start a little bit to the back. And um, my, one of the things I think people recognize about me is one that I'm singing on the course. Like I'll sing in a training run. People come by me and I'm pumping it up and I'm smiling. I wave at people because again, joy you inject joy into something and you just do it better 
right? Mm -hmm. So I always tell people when they're like grunting and they're making the face, I'm like, you run, I was like, you run faster when you're smiling, you know, and then they smile, they can't help it. And they were like, whoa, you're right, right? And they get a little boost and it just gives them a little extra. Um, I don't think people, when when people see me and, you know, they, they go, wow, she's like, she's moving and, and, you know, she's committed, but it's more about the energy. It's more about my energy, I think. Um, and my physical fitness, uh, I feel like is, is a detail, you know, I think it's a detail in the grander scheme of things because most of, um, most of the things that inspire other people about me, I think is just, you know, the positivity that I bring and that energy that I kind of move through and, and the energy maybe comes from my physical fitness. (laughs) Yeah. I was going to say, because there are, you know, we were talking about good leadership and bad leadership. And what I noticed, like one indicator for bad leadership is, um, yeah, when people are not physically fit, when the body is lazy, when, you know, when everything is slacking, when they are, when they're not present in their body. Right. And so when leaders are fit, when they are conscious about their body, they're better leaders because they're present. They're present with themselves. And they're present with the people around them. And you certainly are so present, you know, cheering everybody on, you know, <laughs> having having a 26 mile fight, but you're like, yes, let's do this and cheering right. others on. I mean, this is amazing. I think, yeah. And I, you know, the, I think the, the biggest thing for me and probably within the last two years, I would say is having the presence of body, but understanding that I'm worthy of a healthy body. You know, I deserve a healthy body. I deserve a vessel that's going to support however many years I am on this earth. And so for me, it's about, it's loving myself, right? It's about giving back to myself and saying, you know what? I mean, and that doesn't mean, listen, I love ice cream. (laughs) I love ice cream. I love cookies. You know, it doesn't mean that I'm depriving myself of something. It just means that I'm making sure that I'm taking care of myself. And, and that, that love that I pour into myself gives me the ability to pour that love into other people, right? Because realistically, if you think of it like a cup, that's, you know, there's only a finite amount of water that can go inside this cup. And then everything else is just going to spill over. And that's kind of how I see myself and my love for myself. I pour that love into myself and then, oh, shoot, it's spilling all over the cup. And it just goes, you know, it just flows out into everything else that I touch. And I am because I love myself and I know that I'm worthy of loving myself and I deserve to love myself the most. I deserve to love myself the most out of anybody in this world. Yes, because self-love is not an option. It is mandatory. That's right. Yes. And because you mentioned ice cream, I have to ask if you could describe yourself as a flavor, what flavor would you be? All right. So I don't even know if you're going to get this reference. We have Ben and Jerry's here. We do too. All right. So I think I'm everything but the. (laughs) They have an ice cream flavor called everything but the, and it is a hodgepodge of all of the things. It's got cookie dough. It's got Heath bar. It's got two different flavored kinds of ice cream. It's, it's a kaleidoscope of fun. And I consider myself a kaleidoscope of fun. So that's, that's what I'm going to go with that flavor. And that is the perfect ending. Thank you so much for being game and coming on and talking to me about leadership, about your marathon experience, about your army experience. I didn't know we would go there, but 
Thank you so, so much. Oh, it's been a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thank you for having me. And that's it. That's it for today. That's our show. Thank you for tuning in and staying with us. If you have any questions or suggestions, please feel free and reach out either through Instagram at moving underscore river or via email bea at superwoman.coach. If you like what you heard, then come back next week when we dive into the topic of somatics and flow. Subscribe to our channel and write us a cool review. I'm grateful for you. Keep shining. Keep learning. Keep growing. Keep flowing.